and we will take him if he stayed all night outside. And he was cold. He had his coat pulled up around his neck, you know. He wanted in, and uh, somebody that was here cleaning opened the door and said, we open at 10, you got 30 minutes, and he shut the door back up, and the guy walked away. And I was over on the other side of the lobby, and I'm like, I didn't hear what he had said. He told me, and I said, what did he say? What did he need? He goes, oh, he just wants the open shot. I told him to come back in 30 minutes, that we were open at 10. And I was like, oh, he could have sat in here. It's warmer in here. But that's just my heart, you know. I just, I want to be able to, like, you know, help with everything. And can't always do that. But hopefully a hot cup of coffee. You know, people say, well, not everybody needs it. Well, I'd rather give 10 people a hot cup of coffee so that one person that really needs it, and this might be the only place where they can really warm up today, has that opportunity. So, but like I said, we'll see how it goes. Well, today's message, look, I only have 25 minutes left, and it's all my fault. I've been super long-winded. God always knows what we need. But today's message, I just really kept mulling about in my heart and there's this, you know, phrase in the Bible, and, and we'll get to it, where it says, what do you have? And sometimes I think that in life, we don't think about what we have. We think about what we don't have. And when we get into a Thanksgiving or a grateful, right, time, we have to say thank you for what we do have. And as Americans, we know this, like, we are very rich in comparison to the majority of the world. If you've ever been, you know, to those places, like when you watch a documentary or see something on TV, when you see the situations that people live in in India or in China or some of these other countries where they literally have nothing. It says the majority of people on the planet live on like $2 a day. Or you've seen the videos of where the little kids go to the trash places and they just pick through trying to find metal that has been thrown away so they can take it to the recycling place to get pennies so they can go get something to eat. They don't go to school. They spend every day, all day, in the trash places. Some of them just, like, sleep there. I know, um, like, Joyce Meyers Ministries, when they would go to these different places and see that, they would, like, try to find property for sale near the trash dumps and have, like, a kitchen there and at least make hot meals and try to teach the kids things, but people are like, well, why don't you take them out of there? It's like, they're not going to leave. Like, that is their culture. That is where they are. They, these kids, like, sleep in the piles of trash. So it's like, we can, in comparison, right, say, boy, I've got a lot. I should be thankful. Like, I, what I have isn't what I necessarily, where I want to be, but it's, it's not where some people are. But instead, we say, I don't have what Dr. Jones has, and then we think that we don't compare ourselves to somebody that doesn't live nearby us that we can't relate to. We compare ourselves to somebody else. And then our eyes are fixed on what we don't have. And it's crazy how what we think about how those thoughts multiply in our heads, right? And all of a sudden, everything is bad. Everything is negative. We have this negative outlook on life. And so, so many times we are focused on what we don't have, and we forget to use what we have. And so when we pray to God and we ask him to help us, he takes what we have. So what are the type of things that we can have? Well, I wanted to start here in John chapter 2. And 
if you read in John chapter 1, he begins to kind of start his ministry. He had, he had fasted. He went to, to John the Baptist. He was water baptized. A lot of the guys that were following John, John had been showing them in the scriptures how the Messiah would come. And so once Jesus had been baptized and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove on him and the God's voice said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, John told them all, this is the Messiah. So some of them began then to follow Jesus. He called a few other people in his area. Now he's got these, these disciples that are with him, and he begins teaching them, and they begin going out and about. Well, they were obviously in a place where they, they knew people in Galilee, and they were at a wedding. So it starts here in John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in, at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Hmm. Evidently, in this culture, that's a big deal. They drank and drank and drank till the wine was all gone. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. What is he trying to tell her? He's trying to say, Mom, I know that you know that I can do miracles, but we are in a public place. Come on, Mom. Have you ever been out and about your mom brings something up at the dinner table you didn't want to talk about? Like, yeah, of course you know. You're my mom, but I don't want everybody. Yeah, they're pointing back there. You know how this is, right? Yeah, so you are out and about. And, and somebody says something, oh, my, you know when my husband's done that, right? We'll be out and about, and he'll bring something up, and I'll be like, ah, I didn't tell them about that, right? For whatever reason, maybe, you know. And, uh, but that's what's happening here. This, we're seeing mother-son stuff, you know? He's like, my time has not yet come. He's not saying it, like, in a way, like, Mom, today's not the day for miracles, right? Because then people would brown and be like, oh. You can do miracles. Instead, he says to her, my time has not yet come. Like, you know what I can do. People always say that's the first time he ever did a miracle. I'm thinking, it couldn't have been. How would Mary have known that he could take care of wine? Like, he had to have been doing some extraordinary things for her to be like, hey, they don't have any wine. You know, like, like this is something. You, 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 like, did all this major stuff before. You can take care of this. So he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love it. She doesn't even address him anymore. She just, you know, these servants have probably come with her. They probably were following over there. You know, somehow she found out. I'm, I'm, I'm betting, you know, that she was probably friends with the mother of the bride. You know how that is. The mother of the bride, she's in the back, you know, making sure everything's going on. Her best friend's trying to help her. And all of a sudden, Mother Bride comes frantic over to Mary. You're like, oh, my gosh, we're running out of the wine. Can you believe this? What am I going to do? I'll take care of it. And she grabs some of the servants. Come on, come follow me. I'm going, hey, hey, Jesus, they, they've run out of wine. He looks at her, and there's all these servants. You know, so he's trying to say it cryptically. My hour has not yet come. And they're probably thinking, what does that mean? Is it not time for your bedtime? You don't know. You don't have the key to your storage room. I'm sure she's going to tell us to run over to your house and get all the barrels of wine you guys have. Like, seriously, dude, what does this mean? And she just looks at him. She, and I bet you she's a good mother, and she just walked away. 
all right, do whatever he tells you, and she just walks away so you can't even rebuttal with her, you know. I'm, I'm just saying. And so what does Jesus do? It's not about what we don't have. What they don't have is wine. But what do you have? So he probably just, well, he was God, so he probably knew. He probably had an inventory of the entire place. He probably knew how many mice were down at the cellar chewing on a block of cheese. But let's say he, he looked around, he sees what they have, and so he says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill those jars there with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. I love how he didn't say, fill those jars with water and then go take it to the master of the banquet because they probably wouldn't have done it. They probably would have been like, is he crazy? Instead, he says, go fill those jars with water. So they did. It says they did, and they filled it to the brim. And then once it was filled to the brim, he said, now go take it to the master of the ceremonies. And they're probably like, well, I already took the time to fill 30 gallons of water in six of these. I guess I might as well finish this task he's sending me on. So they take it over. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. <coughs> it says he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests had had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. Now that goes into it, even deeper meetings, how Jesus always says, right, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. So these are the signs where the people around him could see that there was something more going on here, right? And his disciples believed in him. They happened to be with him at this wedding. So here we have one of the first public displays of his miracles. And Jesus took what they did have to help them with something they didn't have. And sometimes when we look at our situation, we need to get our eyes off of what we don't have and get our eyes on what we do have. Now, we might not think, well, I don't have any milk for my kids. I'm going to take this milk jug and fill it with water, and it's going to magically turn into milk for my kids, right? We wouldn't necessarily think to do that. And it probably would just stay water because the instructions had to come from heaven and it was their obedience and following those instructions that something happened. So when we go to God, we have to be able to listen and follow those instructions. What if they didn't listen to him? What if they only did one part and not the other, right? What if they would have just said, well, what's the point of filling them up in here first and then taking them? I'm just going to go out here, grab a bucket of water and go take it to the guy wouldn't have happened, right? It had to be done in the order and in the way he said to do it. That's how God is. He wants us to obey him. Sometimes, you know, people talk about this, and everyone's a little bit different, but they're like, oh, I don't understand why God, God, why aren't you telling me what to do? And he's like, because you didn't do the first step. 
right? Haven't you ever done that with your kids? You're like trying to teach them, or maybe a niece or nephew or somebody in your life, you're like, you're trying to teach them how to bake the cookies, right? Or, you know, make the turkey or do whatever. And, you know, you're like, okay, turn the oven on and preheat the oven, and then we'll start doing this. And they don't do it. And they're like, well, how do I do this part over here? First, you got to turn the oven on, right? You're waiting for them to complete the first step before you give them the next step, because most of us get overwhelmed. If I were to tell my kids all 10 steps of something, they might be like, what? Whereas I might say, do this first. And then we'll learn the next few steps. But the reality is sometimes you feel like you don't have anything. So then the question begins is, do you have faith to do something? So as we look at this life of Jesus here, we see that he had gone out with his disciples and they had seen miracles happen and healings happen and it's spreading to spread through the land about this Jewish prophet. They, most people saw him as a prophet because if you look through the Old Testament, and we're going to see one of them, the prophets would have miracles go through. So his hometown begins to hear about all these miraculous things that have been happening wherever Jesus goes. And so him and his disciples come back to their hometown. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus left where he was, and he went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters among us? And they took offense at him. What are they saying? Who do you think you are? You're just, you know, a hometown boy. You can't convince us you're some high and mighty prophet that can do all these things. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, right? In his own town, among his relatives and in his own house. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, one of the most interesting things, when you study healings in the Bible and you see everybody who would go to Jesus and ask for healings, there's only one time recorded in the entire Bible where Jesus could not heal, and it's this place right here. When people always say to me, well, God chose not to heal, I would say, show me that scripturally. It doesn't say that he chose not to heal them. It says he could not heal them. God can only participate with us in the measure in which we participate with him. Just like the disciple or the servants with the wa turning the water into wine, they had to obey and follow his instructions. People who want the healing or people who want some sort of miracle have to have faith or God cannot do it. Why can God not do something? God cannot do something when he has a method in which he does it. And he says, this is the way it needs to be done. He will not break his own rules. Right? He is saying, look, this is the way it happens. You have faith. I honor that faith and I work with you. And so it says here, literally, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. 
He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He could not do any miracles there. He did them everywhere else he went. But there, their lack of faith was so strong. It reminds me of when, like, there was a a synagogue leader that had gone to Jesus, said, come to my house, my daughter is very sick. And on the way there, the daughter was, they told the guy his daughter had died. And, you know, Jesus, as soon as he heard, he says, do not worry, do not doubt, just believe. That's what he told the guy. They kept going. When they got there, all the people, and this was their traditional way of mourning, and they were, you know, crying out, and they would play, you know, different mourning songs and stuff. And he said, everybody has to leave. And he made everybody leave. The only ones he took upstairs to see the daughter was the mother, the father, and just a couple of his disciples. He didn't even let them all go. He took the ones that knew they'd have faith and believe. And they went up there, and he told the little girl, get up. And he took her by the hand, and she rose. Now, what was going on here? Why did he send people out? He sent out the people that would have doubts. Because otherwise, if a bunch of them didn't have faith, we're mocking, right? Because he says, do not worry. She is asleep when they entered the home. And a bunch of them started laughing at him. And he said, all right, you guys all got to go. His action, his blessing to us, his way of doing miracles is to be with those who believe. So what about the, the wedding, right? Who believed? Who was the one that had the faith? Mary. Yep, his mom. And she's just like, I'm not even arguing with you, boy. Hello. I don't care how old you are. I'm still your mother, right? Just do whatever he says. That's how confident she was. She didn't argue with, and now that shows me that she not only was confident that he could do the miracle, she was confident that he would obey his mother, right? I mean, because she didn't have a discussion. She didn't try to debate with him. She just said, do whatever he says, and walked away. Like, you're going to take care of this. I got to go help the flower girls get out of the fountain. You know, you take care of this part. I'll go do that, right? I got other things to do. You take care of the wine. I mean, and that's, I love that attitude. You know, it's like with the Dream Center, a lot of times, some, and I do my best. I was here the other night super late working on stuff, right? But every once in a while, there's something big that I can't even handle. It's like, hmm, God, you better take care of it. Then I walk away and go take care of the people in the fountain, you know, because it's like, no, I can't worry about that anymore. I've already asked God to take care of it. But the question was, what do you have? In many cases, all we have is faith. And if we don't have the faith, it doesn't matter what we do next. But faith is something that, you know, grows. Your confidence in that grows. Think about it. When you first learned how to drive, the first few times you learned how to drive, you were not confident. You didn't have a lot of faith in yourself. But the more and more and more times you drive, now you just do it and don't even think about it. You just get in the car, you throw it in drive, you go, you do whatever. And your faith in God, if you have never asked him for a miracle, if you have never asked him for anything, start with something small and let it, your faith grow and as you begin to believe and as those miracles begin to increase. Now, let's look here in Mark chapter 6. Oh, I just I just read Mark chapter 6. Let's look here in 2 Kings, because it's like, where did this phrase come from? 2 Kings 
chapter 4, 1 through 7. So there was this prophet, and his name was Elisha. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets of, uh, cried out to Elisha. So who is this woman? This woman is a widow, and her husband was one of the young men that Elisha would teach, and there was a place where people would go and they would learn about the scriptures, and they would hear from God, they would learn how to hear God's voice. And her husband had served God and had done that, but he died, okay? So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets called out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take away my two boys as his slaves. So what would happen here? If you needed to borrow money, which maybe during the time he was in school, maybe he took out a student loan, but now that he's dead and he can't pay it back, instead of them garnishing his wages, right, because he's gone, they take the kids. Say, okay, well, give me your boys. They'll go work for me. They'll be my slaves, and that'll pay back the debt. And, of course, the mom's, like, not standing for this. So she goes to the prophet, the guy in charge of this school that's been there. Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? So she's coming to him and saying, I need money. And he's like, well, how can I help you? Like, I'm not going to give you money. What, you know, what do you have? So she looks around, all right, and says to him, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said to her, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. What is he saying? Ask for lots. Get many. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Now, can you imagine somebody telling you that? Maybe you've got like a two-ounce bottle of something, and somebody says, go get as many gallons as you can, you know, gallon-sized jugs. Go get a bunch of two-liters, empty two-liter bottles. Go get as many containers as you can find. And then shut the door up so nobody else can see, right, because they're going to doubt. They're going to be like, what the heck is she doing? There's something about shutting yourself off from negative voices. That's so powerful. Who's it whispering into your ear? And start pouring that oil. Now, did she have faith, Mary? I don't know if she had to have faith. Who in the world would go borrow all of those jars from their neighbors, shut the door, and start pouring the oil in if they didn't have faith? Now, this woman had faith. Might not say the woman had faith and went and did it. It says she went and did it. She had to have had faith to go and do this. So it says she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all of the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. When what we have been told to do reaches its limit, then that's when the blessing stops, right? She went and asked for all the jars, but as soon as all those empty jars were there, the blessing stopped, and then this is what she had. And it says that 
she went and told the man of God, and he said, now go and sell the oil and pay for your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So she went to the prophet and said, I need enough money to keep my sons from going to be slaves. And he told her what to do, and because she followed it, she not only had enough to sell and pay off the debt, but she now had enough for them to live on that. Now, how long would that have been, Mary? Well, it would have been long enough until the boys were men and could provide for their mother because that's how the culture was. When, when your husband died, the oldest-born boy would get the land plus a double portion of the financial resources because he was responsible for his mother and any sisters that were unmarried. And so these boys had to have been under the age of being able to work so they had enough money to live on for at least years. So when we go to God and we obey him and we shut off all those negative voices, he not only gives us what we need, but many times he gives us much more than what we need. But the question is, what do you have? Number one, do you have faith? Have you asked him? And when you've asked him, did you obey what he said to do? I mean, you know, and, and to cut off those negative voices, I mean, we know God's scripture says to tithe, right? This is a concept that the Jewish people have been doing for years. Is that connected to your salvation? No. But it's a principle that is in there. It's just like one of the other Ten Commandments. They just did it without even thinking about it. We understand the benefit of following the Ten Commandments and not lying, not stealing, not murdering, not having an affair, doing all those things. And when we do those things here on earth, we have a benefit, right? We live at peace with our neighbors. We, you know, people trust us. We have a good reputation. So when we tithe, well, what is the benefit here on earth? Well, it's just like any other law that's here on earth. What goes up must come down. If you give to God, he gives you more back. But yet, right, the negative voices will tell us, that's stupid. Don't do that. What other things does God's word say? It says to read the word, right? Jesus, when he, when he went into the desert and fasted, the first time he was tempted with food, he told Satan, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word of the mouth of God. So that is, that's part of our obedience. Do we know what the word of God says? It's so, I mean, good grief, it's so easy now used to be like if you were even knew how to read and were educated, you'd have to go and buy a scroll of one of the books. And or if you didn't know how to read or you didn't have enough money to buy a scroll, you'd have to go and sit all day on the Sabbath. You could sit out in the courts and hear the different rabbis either reading, they'd read the scriptures in the synagogue, and then the other guys, they would sit around and talk about what it meant and what it does. Now, you can be in the shower, you can be driving in your car, you can be sitting on the toilet and be reading the word. Now we can have it anywhere. And if you were like, I don't want to read Mary My Eyes, I can't read that fine print, you can grab a phone or a tablet and click a couple buttons and for free have the Bible read to you. You can go on YouTube and watch thousands of different preachers talking about what they think it means. You don't have to travel into town and spend the day there out in the hot sun to understand what God's word means. But do we obey that instruction to read our word? 
It's like, what do you have? Do you have faith? Do you have obedience? And then it's sometimes what you need is resources. Do you take the little bit of resources you have and try to hear from God and find out how will, can I make this multiply? One of the resources that we see here was food. If we look here in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing of the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy food, bread, for all of these people to eat? Philip, oh, and it says, he asked this only to test him, for he already knew in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of them to have a bite. That means there were a lot of people on their way, and they had no way of feeding them. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So one is thinking, if this was my responsibility and I have to take my money and go buy them, or go buy bread, this is how much money it would take and I still wouldn't have enough. And somebody else hears the same exact request and he begins to look around and say, what do we have? Right? He knew that God can take something and multiply it. That is the whole principle of the seed. You sow the seed, and what comes up out of that seed multiplies. Think about the farmer. He has faith. He goes out there, and he throws the seeds in the ground, and then he goes off and does whatever for a while. He, as long as he has faith and knows that, hey, that seed's got what it needs, that seed is going to grow. I live near the farm fields. There's one farmer that has fields behind our house, and I only see him out there, or one of his workers, twice a year. That's pretty much it. When they plant the seed and when they harvest the seed. Every once in a while, you know, they might go out there and, like, spray some chemicals on or whatever if we're in a bad insect season or whatever. But as far as, like, him coming out every day and, looking and coming over, oh, Mary, Mary, send me a picture every day so I know if it's gotten to four inches yet. And once it's gotten to four inches, then let me know when it gets to six inches. And No, why is he not there checking on that? Why is he not there sitting there with a fly swatter making sure that nothing bothers his crops? Because he has faith. He knows that while we're here on earth, there are simple principles that always come through. And one of them is sowing a seed. You sow a seed and you will receive a harvest. And this guy looked around, and he says, look, there's some food. I'm going to bring it to Jesus. And now why would he even bring it if he knew how far would this go? But he knew this, well, Jesus can do anything with anything. So I'll ask him, what do you think? Can this go very far? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So if there was 5,000 men, and let's assume they all had just one wife, some of them might have had more. Then they had at least, well, Joseph, Jesus had, what, four brothers? They listed four or five. And then he had sisters on top of that. So let's say the average family only had maybe eight kids. 
So you got 5,000 times nine. You got a lot of people there. We're getting close to 50,000 people maybe. So it says that they had them all sit down. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. I love when they distributed it. He said, give them as much as they want. He didn't say, give them only one loaf each because we got to make sure we have enough for the people in the back. He says that he gave them as much as they wanted. And have you ever been around people like that? You're like, how many would you want? Oh, just give me one. You give them one. The person next to him says, I want three. And you give them three. Hey, I asked you what you wanted. Can we do that with God? Right? Don't let anybody ever say, why does Pastor Mary have that? I asked for it. You need to start asking for more if you're not happy with what you got. Right? That's the principle. He says they gave them as much as they wanted. When they had all... And it says, and the same with the fish. It says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountains by himself. Hmm. What I love about this story is when the disciples looked around, they didn't say, well, we packed some bread. Go ahead and multiply it, God. Take what I have and use it. In this case, they looked around and said, okay, we don't have anything, but is there someone who's willing to share, somebody who's willing to be participating in this? And then they both were blessed. What do you have? What is your situation? What miracle do you need? What have you been waiting on for God, with God? Is it, you know, something that when you pray, you have faith, God kind of tells you some instructions and you follow that? That's awesome. Sometimes it's something as basic as God tells us in the word, you know, to work. There's something about a hard day's work. So we, we do everything that we can, and then we ask God for something that maybe is something we can't do. Okay, Lord, you tell us to work, you tell us this and that, I've done that, you tell us to tithe, I've done that, but now I need something even more. Sometimes it's not necessarily resources, right? Maybe it has to do with parenting or relationships, or maybe you need some business advice. And what do we see here? You go to somebody who do, does have it. The, the widow woman knew that her husband served God and knew that it was God that was going to supply the need. But she went to the Elisha, the prophet, for information and instruction. Sometimes we have to go to somebody else to kind of help us. We still have faith that God is going to do it, but we're asking somebody else to show us how to, to have God be part of that. Right? Sometimes we have somebody else pray with us, somebody else counsel us. Maybe you don't have a leaf blower, but maybe your neighbor does. Can you go over? And that just shows you how, when you get back to the scriptures about being a good neighbor, right? Some of us don't even know our neighbors. <laughs> we can't even go over and, and, and talk to them and ask them. I'm going to pray for all of you that this week, when Satan wants to get us to think about what we don't have, that we begin to say, what do I have? And use that time as you're praying or seeking God out 
if he puts on your heart to take something you have and to do something with it, and it might cause then a blessing, maybe somebody else, maybe to you. Maybe you're going to take some seed that you had and, and sow it, and then you're going to ask God, and you're going to be specific, and you're going to ask for more than enough and see how God multiplies that back. But I think the biggest thing that we can learn from this is where are our thoughts? Is it focused on what we don't have, or is it focused on what we do have? Do we have that faith and that willingness to obey him when he does put something on our heart to do next? Father God, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we know that Satan is out there trying to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. That Satan wants us to have hell on earth. But Father God, you said that you came, you sent Jesus down so that we may have life and have life more abundantly. You tell us to pray and say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are supposed to be praying for heaven on earth, so we pray for that right now. We ask you to be with us this week. Help us to shift our thoughts, to not focus on the negative, but to focus on the positive. Your word says, think about whatever's good, whatever's noble, and the peace that transcends all understandings will come to us. We want your peace. Help us to focus on what is good, what is noble, and what you have done for us. We have faith, and we know that there are many things in our lives that we can take care of, and we thank you for that ability, but there are some things that we can't do it. So we either need you to help us or you to direct us to those who can help us. And Father God, when you do bless us, bless us abundantly. Don't just give us a life. Give us a full life. Give us one that overflows, and we can take part of that overflow blessing and bless those around us. Watch over us and be with us. Send your angels before us. May your Holy Spirit fill us. May the blood of Jesus be over us and our families and our possessions. Do not let Satan steal anything that we currently have. Father God, and you bless us with even more. Watch over us and give us your joy. Bring healing to our bodies and to our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Again, the blessing shop will be open after service. It's also open during the week. And feel free to grab the kiddos before you head over there. Thank you so much. There is beauty in what I can understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. I believe you're the wonder-working God. You're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe. You're the can't resurrect a man with my own hands but just the mention of your name can raise the dead yeah. All the